This fall, a commemoration in downtown Los Angeles marked the 150th anniversary of a massacre. In 1871, in what used to be LA's Chinatown, a mob lynched 18 men and boys, one of the worst such killings in American history. It's a tragedy barely known in Southern California, even among Asian Americans, but that's not surprising. Sadly, when it comes to the history of anti-Asian violence in the United States, we all collectively suffer from amnesia. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Thursday, November 11th, 2021. The recent downtown LA action to commemorate the 1871 Chinatown massacre comes in a year where many similar remembrances have bloomed across the US. Anti-Asian hate crimes have soared during the coronavirus pandemic, but that has also spurred an interest in learning the long and long hidden history of such bigotry. Today, we'll talk about that with my fellow LA Times columnist, Frank Xiong. Frank, welcome. Thanks, Gustavo. Thanks for having me. So you wrote a column about what we can learn from the 1871 L.A. Chinatown massacre. But before we talk about the lessons, describe the L.A. of that era that led up to the violence. Well, L.A. was a pretty chaotic frontier town. There's only a rough semblance of law. Some accounts say that police officers led part of the mob to um, the Chinese part of town to kill Chinese people. At this point, we have Chinese railroad workers kind of coming into California and creating this kind of glut of labor that causes all of these other um, labor forces and in, in mining and railroads and farming and fishing to seek sanctions against Chinese people. I would argue that it sparked the first early labor organizing. Uh, coolie clubs eventually led to unions and Unions would advocate for anti-Chinese policies in concert with coolie clubs beating up Chinese people, killing Chinese people, evicting Chinese people. So it was widespread violence. It, it was the politics of the time. There's an infamous saying in California political history, the Chinese must go. And this is what was rallying white workers and also leading up to that, you know, xenophobia that led to this massacre, which killed 10 percent of L.A.'s Chinese population at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was such a small population and of Chinese people in uh, L.A. and about 200 people. And so, yeah, 18 deaths represented a significant loss for the community. And yeah, I think during this time, you know, minorities were conceptualized as problems. You know, you, you spoke of the Indian problem in the West, right? The Black problem in the South and the Chinese problem in the West. So the survivors of the 1871 massacre, what did they do afterward? Well, in a few words, they fought back. You know, one account says they became even more bold in displaying Chinese culture. And they also began to raise money for a funeral parade. The next year, 14 out of 15 Chinese laundries refused to pay the city's business license tax. And it's believed that that was a protest of what had happened the year before. Some people actually tried to sue to recover the lost value. And then the other thing they began to do was to raise money for a funeral parade. Um, and so about 10 months after the events of the massacre, and this is according to Gay Yen at the Chinese American History Museum, her research, they organized this funeral parade from the site of the violence to the city cemetery. Uh, they would have built an altar 
at the site of the violence and then sort of march slowly with um, you know, lanterns and priests uh, towards the cemetery. I think people have begun to look at that as a bit of a quiet protest of what had happened. And sadly, what happened in L.A.'s Chinatown was replicated in many Chinatowns all across the American West. Yeah, yeah. You know, the latest thing is 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 really discovering that there could have been Chinatowns all over the place, you know, in Riverside and San Jose, Rock Springs, Wyoming. Like there could have been Chinese settlements in all of these other places, except there were really periods of forced evictions and uh, hundreds of them over decades. Um, And so we're not really sure exactly what the impact of something is, but I guess you can measure it in the sort of absence of the Chinese community. Then all of this history gets collectively forgotten. Even Los Angeles, a city as big and as in love with its history as it is, we forget about it. When did you first hear about the L.A. Chinatown massacre? Uh, You know, this would have been uh, 2013, and I had uh, written a story about the English-only movement in Monterey Park, and uh, I was invited to speak at the Chinese American Museum. And after this talk concluded, I went outside and stepped on this plaque. (laughs) The plaque said uh, 1871 Chinese Massacre, and I had no idea about this. So I went back to the LA Times, which is just a short walk away, and began to Google. I think that was the first time I'd learned about it. And interestingly enough, that plaque had just been installed a couple of years prior. You know, all of the remembrances have come very late. Wow. Yeah, I mean, look, you and I can be excused for not knowing about that history because we're the children of immigrants and we're products of the American public education system. But even among people who you'd think would know about it, there was this lack of awareness. Yeah, you know, I spoke with Elaine Wu, whose family goes back several generations in Chinatown. I began life in the Crenshaw district of Los Angeles. Uh, That's one of the few areas where Chinese were allowed to buy homes in the 1950s. My father um, was born in China, but came here when he was very young. My brother went into politics. I became a a worthless writer. So um, our story takes some twists and turns, but we definitely feel like Angelinos, for better or worse, are proud of it. Her father was involved in the founding of Cathay Bank, which was instrumental in kind of making some of the early loans that allowed Chinatown to exist. And even Elaine didn't know about it, nor did her brother, Mike, or any of her other siblings. Uh, Mike Wu, the, the first Asian American city councilman in Los Angeles history. We were walking down the street. I asked my brother, did mom and, and dad ever say anything to you about the massacre? And he said no. And, you know, obviously... It was the same answer for me. I think that I can say that my siblings and I are descendants of survivors of the massacre era. We can trace our U.S. forebears back to the mid-1800s when my great-great-grandfather immigrated to Los Angeles. My great-grandfather was born uh, maybe a year or two after the massacre. If they knew anything about the massacre, and I'm sure that they did, and if they said anything to my grandfather or my father, none of that ever reached our generation. So it's been a a huge awakening. 
So I think a lot of the the people with deep roots in Chinatown, even even the older folks that I spoke to over the years, their parents never really spoke about it. Um, and it's interesting because you can find people who will say, "Oh, my great 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 grandfather built the railroads. My great great grandfather worked on this." You know,、um, I guess you can only kind of use your imagination as to why it just seems like. This is something that they're proud to speak about. The railroad, you know, the Chinese massacre is not. You know, the Chinese massacre is something that you would want to forget, even for Chinese people. We'll have more after this break. Frank, why do you think the silence about LA's Chinatown massacre has persisted? I think the 1871 Chinese massacre was one of the first times that Los Angeles really made news on the East Coast. They were a small frontier town, and they made national headlines for the first time for this extremely violent incident. You know, it was embarrassing for Los Angeles. And so I think people were very eager to show all of the future residents they hope to attract, all the future investment that they hope to attract. That Los Angeles was not that place, you know. And so there was a conscious effort on a city leader level, on a booster level, to really just kind of turn away from that history and、uh, create something else in its place. And that led to the creation of this early. Parade slash festival that still exists today and is called Fiesta de Los Angeles, and this was essentially a parade of of different cultures and ethnicities, a, a putative celebration of cultures. And so, this kind of caring really a lot about what the East Coast and the national you know headlines thought of LA that that started way back in 1871, and yeah, I guess、uh, the celebration of cultures, you know, also、um, for their own reasons at the time. But、uh, that also began with the Chinese massacre. Yeah, quick nerd aside: the best book about that parade, the Fiesta de Los Angeles, is by William Deverall called "Whitewash Adobe." Go check out that copy、uh, if you're a nerd like us. But flash forward to this year, to the commemoration of the 1871 LA Chinatown massacre that happened this fall. LA is one of multiple cities or towns across the United States that have held similar events to commemorate the anti-Chinese violence that happened in their towns generations ago. Why now? Well. I think, as you mentioned earlier, you know this recent spate of anti-Asian violence has people kind of exploring their history to search for answers. I think, you know, there are a lot of parallels to what happened back then to to what's happening now. You know, back then as now, Chinese people were seen as an existential economic threat. Though back then it might have been microeconomic versus macroeconomic in this case. You know, back then there were very unscientific associations of Chinese people with disease and lack of hygiene. I believe that continues to this day by associating Chinese people with the coronavirus in a casual way. Yeah.、Um, and then this sort of idea that Chinese people are foreign and never assimilable—that's also something that's echoed during this time. What I liked about your column is that you point out that. These commemorations are good at all and important, but that we shouldn't just remember the victims of such violence as passive and without agency. Yeah, the first Chinese people in Los Angeles, when confronted with such an unjust and violent act, they fought back. They spoke up. They came together. You know, and and I think that's that's such a 
inspiring example for now. We're seeing that with uh, the recent spate of anti-Asian violence with respect to the coronavirus, you know, and it is sparking an awareness of self. The way kind of America treats Asian Americans is, is similar. And so that's one of those qualities that people are now respecting as the connective tissue of community. Yeah, it's like you literally killed folks from our community, our predecessors, our ancestors, but you couldn't wipe us out. You passed laws that ban Chinese from entering the United States, but yet here we are, we remain. And now we're going to remember what the past was in order to give us inspiration to continue to fight today. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, that place where the massacre took place, there's a whole lot of Chinese people there now. (laughs) So, um, you know, Chinatown is still there. The Chinese American Museum is still there. And so I think that also stands as a powerful reminder of what you can gain by fighting back. What's the massacre's legacy today with Chinese Americans, even ones who don't know about the event? Yeah, I think, you know, the impact of the 1871 Chinese massacre is really yet to be known. It's a work in progress. You know, when you surface a buried history, you then have to recontextualize your understanding of everything that came after. You know, you have this big blank that was filled in that can explain a lot of things, you know. When you talk about the stereotypes applied to Chinese people back then, those became the kind of racial framework that all future Chinese people were viewed with. And so, you know, I think even older Chinese Americans like Elaine Wu, a former L.A. Times reporter, were really kind of examining their memories and uh, looking for the possible impacts of such an event. I think I'm still processing what it means to me as a fourth or fifth generation Chinese American. I uh, think that we all in some ways carry the burden of this silence. As I said earlier, if my parents or grandparents knew about the massacre, they never let on. I'm sure that they thought there was no point in telling us about it because that's not what their lives in America were about. Uh, They were about assimilating and climbing uh, the ladder. And what good would it do to uh, talk about such a horrible event that really um, brought a lot of shame? I think that it's worth realizing that we are connected to other racialized communities through blood and tears. We may have been aware of sacrifices of the, the pioneering Chinese who built the railroads, But most of us did not know of the horrendous brutality that claimed the lives of at least 18 Chinese immigrants in 1871. It's a rude awakening to realize that we are not so exceptional, as Kathy Park Hong has written, to realize that we've been cowed by the lie that we've had it good. Finally, Frank, California recently passed a law that will mandate high school students take an ethnic studies course in order to graduate. So hopefully all future generations of Californians will learn this anti-Asian history. That's good and all, but what else do you think we as a society need to do besides just know our history? Well, I think uh, 
the ethnic studies curriculum is, you know, one step. It's to kind of enshrine the history as part of our official society's knowledge. After that, um, I think you can speak to the lessons that history can teach about stereotypes, about the futility of certain actions and certain perspectives. You know, um, those are the ones that we should try to be learning from history. You know, the 1871 Chinese massacre kind of showed you what the results of xenophobic fear could do. It came in concert with all of these other violent incidents against minorities in the United States. You know, and when you look at all of this history together, taking a cumulative look at all this violence kind of changes your perspective about early America. At least that's what it's done for me. Frank, thank you so much for this interview. Thank you so much for having me, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, a landmark case about the surveillance of Muslim Americans goes to the Supreme Court. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, and Melissa Kaplan. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in Desmadre. Gracias. <laughs>